Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is the first Sunday of March, March 3rd. We're already in the third month of 2024. I feel like we were just doing a Happy New Hair special like the other day. That's how quickly time goes by. I know I say it every week, but it's just getting truer and truer as I get older. Right there, Chateau, Chained and Desperate with Steve Grimman on vocals. Uh, Steve was never really a part of that band. I remember asking him about it when he was on the show. Uh, he just kind of wound up doing the record with them, but I wish it was so much more because it was a really great record. I mean, Chateau had more records, I was just not with Steve on vocals, but would have been nice to hear more with him singing for the band besides that one album. All right, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Elena Sarala of Leaves Eyes is on tonight's show, and Mark Zonda of Warlord. So stick around. We're going to get on as much music as we can in between the interviews. How about we do a little crossfire right now with Starchild? <laughs> Thank you. 
right, Power Lord with Invasion of the Lords. And before that, Adam Craft poured the metal in. We have to get to Alina Sorella right now, I believe so. So how about we do a little something off the latest record. Here's Forged in the Fire, and then we'll talk to Alina.
Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm so excited that we have new music by you and Leaves Eyes. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, it's been a few years since the last record, but I have to tell you, the band never disappoints. Every album you put out, we know what we're going to get, and it's always going to sound great, and this is the same. Awesome. Glad to hear that. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. You know, it's hard to believe it's been eight years already since you joined the band, and I remember you know, when one of the records came out, listening to it and saying, I don't know how she's going to sound like with the old songs and the new songs, and then... Fries in the North comes out, and you just blew me away with the new songs and, you know, the retake on the old songs, and I knew the band was going to be in good hands after that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's been like the time has just flown. <laughs> Disappeared somewhere. <laughs> it's true, and it's a shame, you know, COVID kind of slowed the band down and, and music down in general for a couple of years, but, you know, Leaves Eyes were always pretty good at putting out records on a consistent basis. I know the pandemic kind of slowed the band down for a while. Yeah, unfortunately, for sure, yeah. yeah. But but the album finally did make it out. Now, Minutes of Fate, another great record. I think this is the third one that you've sang on with the band. How comfortable are you now, like, you know, when it comes to the vocals on these albums? Uh, well, for me, it's been actually a... a uh, a long journey over these few years. Uh, I'm going to be short and not stretch the story too long, but um, I had a bit of a vocal crisis, I would say, uh, a few years ago. And luckily, I happened to meet uh, another singer when I moved to Germany, and he really helped me kind of with the crisis or problem that I had at the time and showed me another way of thinking or singing, actually. Uh, and since then, uh, I've been working a lot on my voice to to get to where I am now. And when I started the recording of this album, I felt completely different. So I felt, you know, like I know my voice much better now. Also through teaching, it, it all evolves and, and kind of comes together. And uh, I knew that I would be able to do much, much more on this album with my voice. Uh, so because I knew what I can do. And... Um, and, and I think it helps to bring other dimensions also vocally to the album. And with Alex together, we then, you know, worked on each song and pushed really the boundaries. And I was many times standing in the booth and going, okay, I can sing it like this, I can sing it like that. And then we would like, like you know, what sounds better, what fits the song. And, and yeah, so I have to say that I'm really happy with this album vocally. It, it, it sounds phenomenal. One thing about Leaves Eyes is that it seems to be there's no boundaries with this band on what you can do and what you can record, and there are always big productions involved. I mean, a lot of layers and, and, and layers put on top of layers. Is it challenging trying to do... I mean, because, you know, a guitar player, a bass player, a drummer, they can always figure out ways of working around any injuries that they have or problems, but a, but a singer, it's all from inside you. It's all from your voice. There's got to be a lot of challenges that come with that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I also got ill during the recording process. Um, so, yeah, we had to postpone some of the recordings because <laughs> yeah, it was not possible to sing. So, yeah, that can sometimes suck a lot. Uh, when you get ill, what can you do then? But, uh, but yeah, then it's life, you know. People, people have to – but recording, we're very lucky with the recording because we have the Master Sound Studio, so we have some flexibility 
with recording so we can take our time and sometimes when unexpected things happen then we can <clears throat> work around them so yeah we're in a very lucky position with that true and you know since the be- since the beginning of the band you know 20 something years ago this is the first album without torso in it or involved in it how did that feel sorry can you repeat that I said this is the first album since the band started that doesn't have Torso playing on it or working behind the scenes with it. How does it feel not having him around for the first time and since the beginning of the band and since you've been with the band? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was also a, a big difference, obviously. A big, big change. And <clears throat> uh, it took us also, together with all the pandemia, blah, blah, blah. So we had to kind of recoup and find uh, the... We also had some personal uh, things happening during the pandemic. So, so you know, we had to... F- we needed a bit of time uh, before we started this album. And that's why, you know, people keep asking why it's taking so long. But I think we just needed this time. And, uh, yeah, also to work, okay, how's the di- what, what, what shall we do this time? Toso is not there. I mean, I'm, we're all still in touch with him all the time. I'm texting him with, with him all the time. So we're very, very um, good friends. But obviously, yeah, he's not musically in the band anymore. So, yeah, we had to find another way. And, and for me, personally, uh, I was more involved in, in this album. And for me, it felt, yeah, like a big cooperation. Also with Jonah, who did the orchestrations. And it was a really nice process, I have to say. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, working with Alex, Alex is one of those guys who really controls the situation. He's, he's brilliant when it comes to songwriting and arranging and coming up with concepts and themes. So it must be difficult trying to get your voice heard when he kind of really already has a vision of where he wants the music to go from the very beginning. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, the band has been going 20 years and, and you know, it's it's when you jump into something like that, it's. I, I brought already something very significant, significantly new with my voice, and 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 you know, like I'm a different performer and everything. So I think in the beginning it was it was all fine and everything. And I was always, you know, of course I was involved. Uh, we we were working on the vocals and 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 uh, backing vocals and all kinds of stuff. But it was just more this time, and uh, it was just naturally like that. And and we also wanted to have a change, and and it was you know everything happened kind of naturally as it should, I think. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good to have. I mean, he's still the the producer and and mixer and stuff, so obviously he's involved in every every step of of the way. But it's nice to be more involved on also on every step of the way. So then you feel like oh yeah, you know. It it really was like a joint effort, uh, a little bit more this time. True. You know, symphonic metal, there's a lot going on musically. Now, when you're playing live and you want to try to recreate that, it has to be difficult. Do you have to, like, in the studio kind of put it together the way you say, you know, we can take this on stage and perform it live. We can make it happen. Because sometimes you can't have all those members in the band that are on in the studio. You can't use backing tracks and stuff like that to help out. But do you always try to, like, figure out what we're doing in the studio, how we translate that to a live show? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's also you have to, yeah, you have to accept that there is a difference between live and, and studio. Also with recording and singing live is a completely different thing. Uh, so some things might not translate so well live um, and you have to pick and choose then what, what you feel like is going to work well and what, what is not. 
Uh, but so far, I think pretty much everything is doable. I mean, yeah, we have the backing tracks. Obviously, we need that symphonic element. You can't always have a symphonic orchestra or <laughs> with you on stage. Uh, like you can't have a Viking ship either. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 part of this genre also that people know they want it. You know, it needs this pompous sound, uh, and you're not going to create that with with all those elements. Very true. I mean, you've been a part of this genre in the symphonic metal world, you know, with Angel Nation going back to 2011. So you're not new to this. You've been doing it for a very long time. I mean, what is it about the symphonic metal sound that really gets you going, that you really like interests you? Is it because you're such a great singer and, and like almost like an operatic singer that you can really express your vocals? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, I wouldn't say Angel Nation symphonic metal really. It's a bit different. It's more maybe melodic and and also has some maybe a bit more rock uh, vibe to it. And I was never, yeah, for me, it's it's kind of like I I have this fine line and balance between what my voice works with and what I want to do. So it's the thing of like you can't force. I'm never gonna be a pop singer. I mean, I I am originally an opera singer, obviously. And uh, for this album also, you can hear the difference that I've worked on other sides of my voice. And I like exploring it much more now. I enjoy having all these sides that I can use for the songs that they... It always has to fit the music, I I feel. It has to fit the songs and the music. So obviously I can't change me. I can't change my voice. So uh, I like that I can use my voice so versatile way, way in, the, in, in this genre because you can go all the way to the opera sound, then you can use all this low stuff, you can do all, everything in between. So it's very free, which is something that I really love. True, you know, as different as the world of opera is and the world of metal is, they're both very similar in some ways. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it is this big, big drama, you know, big, big sound and, and heaviness in a different way, uh, pompousness, theatrical stuff. Yeah, it, it all goes very well together. Uh, and also, obviously, with the voice, if you have a voice like mine, then, yeah, obviously, symphonics are going to fit <laughs> very well with it. All true. Yeah, Lee's Eyes, to me, has always gone bigger than other bands have, whether it's just visual or not. It's just always seems to be at another level. And, like, when the Forged by Fire video came out last year, I'm watching it. I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a mini movie. I mean, you don't see videos made like that anymore. They're very, like, low budget today because the money's just not there for a lot of bands. But everything that this band does always seems to be larger than life. I mean, is that intentional? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. And, and I have to say that's uh, entirely uh, – credit goes to Alex because he is the one who's filming. He's the one who's cutting. He's the one who's editing and doing all, all the stuff for the videos. He's, he just has a, a really good eye and, and a talent for that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think getting out from something, it's, it's, it, it's not always just about money. Uh, obviously. Yeah, sure. <laughs> money uh, plays a role often, but it's just also about finding the creative ways of doing. And, and these topics on the album, like Forged by Fire, I mean, it's a perfect song to make a video uh, for. So it's, it's very visually pleasing. You can come up with a lot of things. And, and yeah, you can see it on the video. The result speaks for itself. 
It's true. I mean, you know, Andre and Luke, I, I, I believe this is the first record they've played with, with Leaves Eyes, but almost the whole band now behind you is pretty much atrocity. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's how it's always been. Uh, it was uh, originally as well. And they didn't want it to be a solo project. So, yeah, it was it was just another band completely. But yes, the players were same. Does it help when most of the people in the band have played together for a long time? Does it make it cohesive? Does it make it a lot easier when everybody kind of knows each other and how they're going to react to the songs and play on stage? Yes and no. I mean, uh, we also recently played 7,000 Tons and we had uh, um, another guitarist and also bassist uh, playing with us for the first time and it was fantastic. So, you know, sometimes you can also jump in, you, you have chemistry instantly, people are just know their stuff. And yeah, of course, when you go, even with the tour, the more shows you play, the more it starts to kind of come together and you get a certain, even more chemistry, you can relax a bit more and, and you know, yeah, you know the reaction. Of course, for us who played these songs many, many times, we have a certain thing. We know usually how audience also reacts in a certain part of the songs and stuff like that. So, but um, I think both have, you know, it's not like, uh, one has to be bad or other one has to be better. It's just like sometimes it just works and then it works and it's fantastic. True. I mean, at this point in the band's career, I mean, do you still look to gain new fans or do you just try to keep the ones that you have? I mean, you know, the band's so established right now. I mean, what do you try to do to maintain the momentum of the band? Well, I mean, of course, every every band wants to evolve and obvi obviously it would be great to always reach new people and new fans and, and you know, that's that's great. And I think still uh, there are still many people who are finding us now for the first time, which is really great. Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, our loyal long-term fans who have just absolutely mean everything to us. And, and we, you know, always love to see them and, and play live now also on the tour. Uh, so, yeah, it's all evolving. I don't think you reach a point and then you kind of stop. You, you always want to make more and create more and, and get the reaction of people that. True. Like yeah, earlier, you were saying, yeah, it was a long time between records, four years. But I think for Leaves Eyes, that's a long time because there's always sort of new music put out. And a lot of people kind of get atrocity mixed into it because it's Alex. They figure, you know, it's both bands and there's always new music. But, you know, for other bands, sometimes it's 10 years between records, sometimes even longer than that. So four years really isn't that long of a time. Yeah, of course. It's like how you look at it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think it's better to take a bit more time and put out something fantastic than rush it and, and you know, just maybe not feel so good about it. <laughs> For me, at least, it's much, much better like this. That, that's, that's very true. But I, there's always been quality product from the band. I don't think there's been anything that's ever disappointed any fan. Like I said, they know what they're going to get, but they don't know what to expect from album to album. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's it's nice that we have... You know, again, a little bit different theme now, different, like, a, also a little bit different sound thanks to some changes. So, yeah, I think it's it's, it's all uh, welcome changes. True. I, no Vikings this time around. <laughs> yeah, not so much. I mean, uh, yeah, the album is, is obviously the last Viking was based on Harald Haldrada and now 
uh, it's not really based on a historical person or anything. It's just more about these magical and uh, mystical topics. Yeah. True. Uh, next month or in a couple of weeks, actually, the band goes out on a pretty big tour throughout Europe. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, it's been so long, and, and now, like I said, I feel different with my voice, and I feel like it's it's just going to be so great being out out there again and and especially playing the new songs of course <laughs> really looking forward to that yeah well not being on the road for a while you get really excited when it happens again how long into the tour how many shows do you play before you say oh my god i gotta get back on that bus again and we have to travel to the next place and does it ever get t- <laughs> does it ever go from the excitement to like oh not again <laughs> well i would say it's more like um you know you, you you again you you have the balance between oh yeah well you get to do something great but then you that might evolve some things that you, you don't like so much the traveling of course it's not the greatest uh, i don't really sleep well on the bus and in the past i always got really ill on tour so i really hope that this time i will be healthy <laughs> so i can enjoy so yeah it can be exhausting of course but uh also just what comes with it uh, kind of balances it out. True. Elena, I'm not going to keep you. I know you're doing interviews all day long today, so I'll give you a little break between the next one, but the album on <laughs> AFM officially out March 22nd. You guys did an amazing job, and I hope you can make it here to the U.S. If not this year, maybe next year. It would be great to see you guys live. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I hope so, too. I hope so, also. Elena, thank you very much, and the best of luck with the band, and have a great time on tour. Thank you so much. It was really nice to talk to you again. And, you uh, too. Hopefully- Hopefully, then we'll get to USA soon. <laughs> I hope so. You take care. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
my more brand new Leaves Eyes Fear the Serpent. I've interviewed Elaine a couple of times, and you know, she's not the most talkative person, very sweet girl, but not the most talkative or elaborative when it comes to, you know, answering questions. But it is what it is, right? We've been there, done that before with a lot of guests, so that's life. Ah, not much really going on in the world of metal this week. Everybody's still ranting and raving about Slay reuniting. That's like, you know, the big thing. I find it kind of funny that it happened when Kerry King's solo record was about to come out or he made all these announcements about a solo record. It kind of took away the little shine from uh, what he was trying to do there, I think. <laughs> so they might have wanted to thought about, you know, waiting on that announcement a little longer, but it is what it is. You know, Ace Frehley last week was in New York City uh, and he was signing his new records. And I looked at a video of it and I put it up on Facebook last week. It was like the geriatric crowd, like going to stage freely. There's no youth in his audience, no young people. I mean, they were there with walkers, canes. You know, it was like walker after walker after walker. It was a funny thing, but everybody was complaining that, like, you know, when he was signing the albums, he didn't even, like, look up at the people. He just kept his head down the whole time and was signing the records. Like, he didn't take pictures with people. You see people in the videos, like, trying to take selfies with him. He's got his head down, and they're trying to, like, negotiate their camera in a certain way to kind of, like, you know, get him in there with it. I think that's kind of rude. I mean, why do an in-store appearance when... You know your fans are coming in, just not to get your autograph, but they want to say hello to you, maybe congratulate you on the record, talk about how they love you, and take a picture. What is the big deal? I mean, you know, I don't get that. You know, you have so many rock stars that, like, in the Ace Frehley realm that do that, and he's not really in the position he was when he was in Kiss, like, to be that kind of standoffish, you know? Uh, but, like, I, you know, a lot of disappointed fans went that day, I guess, because they were expecting to say something to him, and he didn't even acknowledge them, but... Uh, that's life. All right, let's get on a couple of more tunes before we get to Mark Zonda. Uh, how about we play some brand-new Scavenger? The record's going to come out on No Remorse Records. They've been doing a bang-up job this year of putting out new records and new music. Here's from uh, The album's called Beyond the Bells. Here's a song called Watch Out.
All right, a siren from the last record, Queen of Sin, from about two years ago, I think it came out. We had Ed on the show back then. Such a cool guy like we were talking about in the chat. Everybody's talking about rock stars they've dealt with that were, you know, kind of shitbags, and, you know, there were some great ones out there. We all have that story. John just told about how he ran into A's and Iman with, with his buddy Jarvis on Night Demon. I had the same thing in 1983 when I was a kid, and we went to go see Quiet Riot at Lamore. It was the first time they were playing there, and... We got there, like, really early because we didn't understand, like, when I say that, you know, the doors open at 6 with the show started at that time. So we got there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, in case it was, like, a big crowd. <laughs> you know, like, you could hear the birds chirping in there. There was nothing going on. But the band pulled up for a sound check and their big bus, and out came the entire band, a quiet ride. I was, like, in awe being, like, a 15-year-old kid seeing them for the first time. And I was a fan of their music from when Randy Rose was in the band getting a copy of those records as a kid, the, you know, the first two quiet ride records, the imports. And... I remember they came out, Carlos Cavazzo and Frankie Minnelli came up to us, made some small talk. We, like, were looking for scraps of paper on the floor, like, for them to sign. And one of their girlfriends had a pen and some paper, so they, they signed the back of the paper for us. And then and Rudy Sarzo came by, and he was chit-chatting for a little while. We had such a great time talking with him. And then Kevin DeBro walked by with that rock star attitude, with two girls on his arms, swaggering past us, kind of ignored us. Like, we gave him the papers to sign. We are trying to talk to him. He basically ignored us. He did sign the autograph, but, like, with his head up in the air, like he was better than us. And I never forget that. And that sticks with you when you're a kid, especially when you're thinking about bands. And I remember, you know, 30 years later when I had Frankie Benali on the show, telling Frankie about how we ran into him and stuff like that. And I even mentioned it to Rudy Sarza. And Rudy actually remembers, because Rudy has, like, an identic memory. He remembers everything that happened. He remembered us at Lemoore that day. And it's like he was just bullshitting and saying that. He mentioned some stuff that only he would know, like, describing the area and where we were. It's amazing that you can have that kind of memory. And if you read his book, Off the Rails, he talks a lot about that stuff in his book, too, where he remembers those kind of things. But, you know, I left a sour taste in our mouth, but what are you going to do? We got the autographs, we were happy, and they did put on a kick-ass show, I have to say that. Even though they came on like 1.30 in the morning, by the time I got home, my father kicked my ass for getting through the door at that time. But those are the days. All right, you know what? we got to talk to Mark in a few minutes. Christian wanted to hear Warlord this week as his request. He picked Penny for a Poor Man, so let's play that, and that'll go right into Mark.
Mark. It's Mike. How are you? Let me, listen, it's a pleasure to have you on here today. You don't remember, but I had you on here with Bill like 13 years ago when Holy Empire came out. And we had uh, a long conversation about Warlord back then, and we're talking about it again today. That's incredible. Yep, yep. So you got to be happy. You know, I mean, you probably, I mean, you know, a couple of months back, we hear that, you know, you're going to get the band back together of what you can of it, which is just you, really. And you're going to go do some shows in tribute to Bill and play some shows. Then we hear there's a new record coming out right after that. So a lot happened in a short amount of time for people that thought Warlord was kind of done with. Well, yeah, people don't understand. Well, you know, what can you say? Um, I'll back it up. When Bill passed away, you know, and people ask me, you know, what am I supposed to say? Oh, yeah, man, I've got the band together. I, bought, I had it together already, waiting for Bill to pass away. And, hey, we got a tour book, and we got six albums coming out. Yeah. That's when that happened, when he passed away. And, and, and it was a slow one. So I, I kind of knew it was coming for a long time. But still, still, um, of course, my first reaction is it's over, it's done. You know, I was, I was just, you know, I was devastated, needless to say. You know, and people don't understand. But, you know, from a human side, yes. It was very devastating, you know, to have Bill pass away. Even if we never played together again, if we never did any shows, whatever the case may be, you know, we talked and all that kind of stuff. But, and then the other side of it is to just realize, there goes Warlord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was like, kind of like, uh, that kind of thing. So, it, to me, it was just right off the top of my head. It was like, no, we're not going to do this right now. You know, everybody was asking about tribute records and this, that, and the other. and Everybody was trying to cash in, per se, blah, 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 whatever. Okay, cool. But then it got to a point a couple of years later, Giles showed me a couple of these emails that I never saw. I mean, Bill and I talked, and he always said to me, hey, man, go find another guitar player. Anybody can do this stuff. Just let the music ring. You know, Bill was one of the most un... He was, on one hand, he was a total perfectionist when it came to the band. But on the other hand, if he couldn't do it, he was totally game for someone else to do it. You know, and he also talked about in those emails about taking his stuff and putting it together and putting it out after he's gone so it, it could see the light of day. You know, if, or if not, it would just completely go away. So that's what we did. You know, and Giles came to me and he showed me, and he's like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is kind of for real. I'm obviously in a different space because it's a couple of years later. Um, had time to kind of deal with the whole thing and everything. Um, probably if we would have went out back then within a month or two of like when he passed away, I'm not sure if I could have got through the shows, to be honest with you. I mean, even now, two years later, I'm sitting back here in my studio banging out, you know, rehearsing the songs, and my mind just starts to wander. Yeah. It just starts to, oh, yeah, I remember when Bill and I did, you know, I just posted something today. Uh, on Facebook, uh, I was playing Battle of the Living Dead, and that was one of the first songs Bill and I ever did. It's ingrained in my head. We're sitting in this warehouse in South San Jose, just him and I, Bill's in his kiss boots. You know, the whole nine yards, <laughs> they keep coming back. They're coming back. I've kind of got past the point of coming back and being sad. Now they're kind of coming back, and it's kind of like, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, and um, so that's kind of where it was at. You know, we had a lot of stuff or some stuff that we, Bill and I, were kind of starting to work on. But because of his health, it just never really got to where it was supposed to go. He just couldn't muster the time. And uh, the more his illness kind of got to him, it just, it just wasn't going to happen. So the two years later, whatever it's been, when Giles brought up the subject, you know, I thought to myself, wow, this would be great, you know. Um, and believe me, there's no money in this. So when everybody goes, oh, Zonder's going for the cash grab. You know, I own a commercial building with 10 recording studios for 30 years. Trust me. Warlord's not going to change my life. Yeah. Well, I take that back. It does change my life 
in my heart and what I love to do. It's just not in your pocket. You know, it's just not my pocket, please. You know, all these things cost money. You know, I'm still, I still haven't been paid back the $5,000 for the Cannons of Destruction video that I borrowed (laughs) from my parents. Yeah. I mean, people, they, they get this really weird sense. Oh, it's a cash. Please. Yeah, it's the publishing. Trust me. It's all those records that sell. All the Spotify. Come on, please. Anybody in the business knows, you know, unless your last name is Dickinson and then it's a whole different ballgame. But um, no, it was just a matter of this is going to be a blast. This is going to be awesome. I always love playing the songs. And you got to remember, Warlord wasn't a band that toured the world 30 times. And I'm burnt on playing Stairway to Heaven. Okay? Yeah. Believe me. You know, every time I crank up Black Mass, I go right back to where we were, you know? And it's going to be great. It's going to be fun, you know? Uh, it's it's for the fans. And just so they know, there's no jamming. There's no ad-libs. We're not going into a 5-4 blues jam or anything. This will be note for note, the way Bill had had it, the way he saw it and the way he recorded it. And it's going to be the greatest. If you want to call the tribute band, I don't care. I don't care. Call whatever you want, but it's going to be note for note. It's going to be the best tribute band you ever saw. So <laughs> well, you, it you will be note for note. You know, metalheads are a fickle bunch. Uh, let's be honest. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you, you have Slate who just got back together again, so people are upset that they reunited after retiring. Kiss have done it. ACDC have done it. So many bands have done different things that the fans, they go on one side or the other. You'll have well, half the people saying that, you know, this isn't Warlord without Bill. Then I say, well, you know, it was Bill and Mark from the very beginning. So, you know, it can only be one of the two of the boat not here. There's like there were five original guys that carried it on for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, I think people have to realize, too, I know it's a tough one to swallow. He died. Yeah. We didn't kick him out of the band. We didn't, we didn't hijack anything, you know. So I, I do find that kind of funny. Uh, in, in a little bit, you know, it's kind of like, okay. Um, so, yes, it'll be very exciting. We're really looking forward to it. Um, you know, very easy to do the record, even though Jimmy, Waldo, and Giles did tremendous work. I just played the drums, basically. They did a lot of work getting these files together and taking Bill's old tapes. And, and obviously, I had a bunch of them here, you know, on this computer that me, Bill, and I were working on, Conquerors, and a few of the other ones and stuff. So we have actually Bill's guitar parts. And so there, there's a little of that going on as well. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, in a way, too, it's for the fans. You know, I can sit here and all day in my, in my own room and play. You know, I got the tracks. I got the drums on them. No problem. I can play. But I think, too, the fans hopefully will appreciate this because it's just, it's just the music. It's not about Mark. It's not about Giles. It's not about Philip. Uh, there's definitely not a money situation. You know, people have to understand oh, we're going to get five or six guys traveling around the world to get to a destination. What do you think that's going to cost? Yeah. You know, I mean, come on. Let's be serious. Oh, I forgot the private jet that I borrowed from Taylor Swift is parked out in the front of my house right now. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it was kind of not disturbing, but I was kind of shocked at some of the reaction, you know. Um, and, again, here's a classic story. You know, there's a reason there's a dial on there that says on and off on most electronic <laughs> products. If you don't like it, turn it off. I do all the time. You know, I have no problem. But the, I, I was telling Giles the other day, and I'm not sure if you know or not, but one of my favorite bands of all time when I was growing up, I was 14, 15, 16, was Journey. And this was before Steve Perry. Yeah, yeah. And I would sit there with my little turntable, and 
steal all the stuff from Ensley Dunbar and scratch the living daylights out of my brother's records and all that kind of stuff. And I said to Giles the other day, I go, could you imagine the, the, look how things have changed. Could you imagine me sitting down as this giant Journey fan, they get Steve Perry in the band, and I write Herbie Herbert, the manager, and say, how dare you bring in a new singer? You're ruining my favorite band of all time. Blah, blah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. I don't understand what people will get out. If you don't like it and you're not into it, move on. I don't bite cigarettes because I don't smoke. Am I going to rail on everybody else for smoking? Nope. Yeah. That's that's the world we live in today. I mean, I think it's gotten worse with social media, with the internet, and people having access to every you know every thought people have in the head today just gets blurted out there. Where at least it was some decorum going back to the eighties, at least. Well, it, it was more of you had two things. You had it was funny. I used to call it East Coast West Coast. You had the East Coast thing in America here, where it was like they tell you right to your face, "Hey, man, your band sucks." You know, yeah. Here, here on the West Coast, is man. That's really something, man. That's cool. And then in the back of your mind, go, man, that sucks. <laughs> so the East Coast had that New York kind of Jersey, whatever yep. you want to call it. It was just really upfront, which I really appreciate. And then the California and West Coast one was kind of like, yeah, man, that's really cool. Okay, next. True. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. When you decided you were going to do this now, did you kind of have a lineup in mind of who you wanted to be? I mean, Phil's been with the band since you kind of got back together 10 or 12 years ago around the whole Empire time. But did you have an idea of like, hey, I want to get Jimmy in the band, getting a guitar player? You know, you have to kind of, you know, you get somebody well-known. People are going to say, oh, well, it's not Bill, this guy. And do you go with somebody unknown? I mean, did you? how did you plan it out? How did you figure out who you wanted to play with? Well, obviously, Giles was singing just by default. Yeah. Uh, plus, he wouldn't have done all the hard work if I said, hey, I'm getting another singer. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth be told is Giles was probably better friends, friends, not musical guys, but friends with Bill than I was. He used to go to Florida all the time and hang out with Bill, you know, spend weeks there, and they'd be talking about everything. I mean, they were good, good friends. Um, you know, Philip, if I had tattoos, I'd probably tattoo his name on my arm right here. But no, we're not. We're not I kind of have a rule. If I'm playing, Philip's playing. That's all there is to it. There's no question. You know, same thing with A through Z. Um, it's Philip. Um, Jimmy Waldo, um, I met when doing the Graham Bonnet stuff uh, a while back. And that, that was a no-brainer. Uh, Jimmy's great. You know, I learned something after that last A through Z record that you really got to surround yourself with, with um, not so much friends, but people that you can trust, people that are mature, and people that can communicate. It's so crucial in this whole thing of doing projects worldwide or across things instead of all sitting in a room where you could walk up to someone and say, hey, man, what are you talking about? What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Explain yourself. You know, now it's so easy. People don't respond. You know, the best is you've been trying to get in touch with someone for 17 emails, 17 texts, and, you know, a carrier pigeon. And you see him posting every five minutes on Facebook about the <laughs> You know, and it's just like, who has time for that at this point in the game? Yeah. You know, if I was, again, if I was dealing with Richie Blackmore, okay, I get it. I'll deal yeah. with it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll put up with it. But it's just, I needed guys that I knew were going to really, you know, be solid. And if you can't do something, just say you can't do it. So Jimmy was a no-brainer, Philip, Giles. And I think Giles is the one who found Eric. And Eric was playing in another band. And we went through the whole little process of sending him a song to play to and the style. And I mean, this guy, I don't want to say he's into it more than I am, but I mean, he copped Bill's sound to the T. You know, it's not, we weren't trying to do something different. We were trying to keep it in the same vein. And from a drum point of view, I, I didn't get overly, overly, overly 
anal about it because Warlord never was about that that finite thing. It was just let it fly, you know. Let's just play. Um, but Eric nailed it. And uh, besides being a really nice guy and professional, um, and, and very communicative, which is really important, he just had it down. He knew. He studied it. He knew it inside and out. And he was playing that stuff note for note. I think we had him do deliver us or. I think it was Deliver Us, you know, with the, I pulled the guitars off and just gave him everything else and he played it and he was great, you know, absolutely great. And then on this record, he gave 112%, you know, um, he was just, did a phenomenal job. He copped Bill's sound to the T. He wasn't one of those guitar players, and we all know guitar players, that he didn't have to put his stamp on it. It wasn't like, oh, at the end of a line, I'm going to stick it. No, 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 no. He was Bill in all intents and purposes. And he knew that going in because we told him, because we like to communicate. We're not looking for a blues riff at the end of the thing. And this isn't about your guitar soloing and your guitar playing. This is about the band. Um, you know, it was really, really easy because, you know, it's been a long time since I did a Warlord record. And, you know, I, I play every day. That's what I do and expand and practice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It would have been so easy to went into this warlord recording with a 2024 mindset playing all kinds of stuff and but it was it it, it wasn't going to be warlord it might have been a through z face warning whatever but it wasn't going to be warlord warlord was you know a lot of double bass uh a lot of groove you know hit the accents with bill occasionally it wasn't about like super super crazy intricate kind of stuff it might have gotten there if bill was still alive and we continued and moved forward but I just thought it was very important, and everybody got it that we what we were doing. We we're doing 1984. You know, we were doing Warlord the way Warlord's supposed to be sound, and everybody did an amazing job. And it, what just blew me away compared to other situations that I've had is how like on it, you know, and and just on it everybody was. I'm usually the guy who is done way ahead of time, and I think Graham Bonnet said it best when he said, "I think Mark had the album recorded before he joined the band." Um, I just like to work. I, it's like, hey, we're doing something. I love doing this. Let's get it done. I, I don't need to go to the beach. You know, I don't need to put it at the back of the line. And all these guys were just like, bang, 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 bang. And it was great. It got done in no time. You know, it was just really, really a, a breath of fresh air. And like I said, Giles, you know, is the guy who really masterminded the whole thing um, and, and got all the different things. And he had some tapes there that he was going through and I had stuff, and no, it was it was it was pro all the way. It was great. That's good. I mean, I guess everybody kind of knew that you know the band the band has a legacy to live up to, and they all had to be on the same page to make this record happen. And when you think about the career of Warlord, I mean, it's been on and off throughout the four decades plus that you've been doing it, but every album always had a different singer on it. So was that intentional, or just because the way the dice were rolling and the years that went by in between that? It was hard to go back to maybe one of the previous singers to, for a new record because every record sort of, even though it's you and Bill and there's a specific sound that you guys did create from the very beginning of, you know, time when you started the band, the singer's always going to bring in a different vibe based on who they are. And each record kind of had that Warlord sound, but with a different vocalist bringing their version of Warlord to that album. So how did that work out with the different singers over the years? Well, that was the curse. I mean, that's the curse of my career right there with the singer. You know, Bill and I used to joke, like, Hey, if one of either one of us could sing, we wouldn't need anybody else. Yeah. You know? uh, truth be told, um, obviously Bill wrote every melody line, every lyric, every uh, octave change, every up, down, in between. It was Bill, you know. And the, the amazing thing about Bill, 
compared to most vocalists that are out there. Bill looked at the vocals as just another instrument. It just happens to be with your voice. It could be a trumpet, could be a saxophone, whatever. could be a flute. But he looked at it that way, and he had very specific ideas of how everything should be. No, we did not change singers because we wanted to. The first singer um, was really, really, really good, Jack Rucker. He was a pop singer that we found from somewhere else, and he sat there, and Bill just pitched him the lines, never rehearsed with us, never did anything with us. Uh, we had an abominable showcase. We, uh, we did a showcase for uh, Bill LaCoyne, who managed Kiss at the time. Oh, wow. And he was telling us about this new kid from his band, Generation X, that's going to be a star. And we're like, yeah, whatever, Bill. That was Billy Idol. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we do the showcase. We all got the long hair. We got the whole thing. And you know, we're rocking. Bill's got his kiss boots on. And Craig, I think, was the bass player at the time. Jack the singer comes walking in in these black silk pants, the Patty Smythe black and white T-shirt with, <laughs> with, with a cape that he looked like he stole from his daughter. And eyeliner, like, I'm, I'm hip with the eyeliner, but this was ridiculous. And Bill O'Coin told us flat out, great band. Singer's never going to cut it for you. Sounds good, but never going to cut it for you. That didn't discourage us. We weren't, we weren't down with that. He basically left. He wasn't around. Everybody thought they were going to make a bunch of money. So then Rick Cunningham came in, who was more concerned with the L.A. lifestyle. And I'll, the, the funniest story about Rick, nice guy and everything, funniest story about Rick. This was back in the day when, you know, you had a phone that was on the wall kind of thing. like you know, <laughs> cell phone, And you paid for every minute. And he was from Texas. He literally was on the phone with his girlfriend one night, fell asleep, line was kept open, and we got like some $350 phone bill. You know, that was Rick's legacy. But he, it just didn't work out again. There was another guy who thought like the limos were going to show up. We're kind of more impressed with the lifestyle, per se, than the actual music and the hard work. And let's face it, these singers didn't have a tough job. They weren't writing melody lines. They weren't writing lyrics. Just I, I thought it was the easiest job going myself. You know, as long as you can sing. And then after that, it was just really tough, you know, to find different things. You know, Rick Anderson was involved for a little while when the whole band dissolved. He never really got on a record until, uh, what was it, The Holy Empire? Yeah. I think it was The Holy Empire. But, uh, you know, and Bill, it was Bill's choice for that. You know, I was going to let him pick whoever he wanted to and work it because it's important that Bill work with them. Um and then Giles is an interesting story where the way we came across Giles is as much as they were really good friends, we were going to go out and do his original Warlord shows in 2013. And we had another singer all lined up. It was great. It was great. It was great. So about three weeks before we were supposed to leave, then it wasn't so great. And we needed a singer. And Bill just called Giles and said, hey, you know, do you think you can, can do this? You know, blah, blah, blah. And God bless him. He stepped in. He did it. Uh, you know, he also sang on the Holy Empire with that one song, Kill Zone. Because Rick just didn't have that Rob Halford kind of approach to it. And so Giles nailed that one. And it just kind of rolled from there. You know, the, the next time around, for some reason, Bill wanted to have Nicholas, which was fine. Okay, cool, whatever. Um, but no, it was never a, a clear. We would have loved to have Jack just fall in line. Oh, the, actually, my favorite singer of all time with Warlord was Yo King. And, the, album, uh, the last album, uh, but all the remakes and the songs on it. Well, no, it was Rising Out of the Ashes, which was Joachim. Joachim Kahn's from Hammerfall. Oh, from and, Hammerfall, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, and it, it's it's the weirdest thing. Here's Warlord, finally with a singer, finally with a singer who is a Warlord fan who gets it, 
a singer that's coming from a really big band and no one wanted the record at that time. No one wanted to do a deal for an album, but we did it anyways. And I thought Yellow Kim was great. A lot of people don't, I don't know if it's a hammerfall backlash because you know how, how you know how music yeah. fans, I don't know if it's a hammerfall backlash. I thought Yellow Kim was great. I thought he, I don't know. You know, even today when I'm, you know, re- rehearsing the song, some of the songs have his vocal on it. And I don't know. I, I, I loved him. I thought he was great. Um, you know, and he's great live. But I guess there's a hammerfall backlash maybe. I don't know. You know, you can't, you can't tell me that he sucked. I mean, no, no, not at all. But it was also 2001 or 2002 that the record came out. And that was when it seemed to start to revitalize and come back again also. And well, it had been gone for, for a very long time before then. So maybe it was a combination of all of that together. I don't know. But it was a tremendous record. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't understand. I mean, we are actually playing uh, the song Invaders live. Uh, that's a Yo, that was a Yo Keem song. So um, I don't know. It, just, it was just the, 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 the curse of Warlord without the singer. You know, I mean, Bill and I, and then Bill and I and a bass player jammed for so many hours without a singer. Even back in the day when Jack was in the band and we were getting ready to go do the Deliverance thing, he wasn't there at rehearsals. He wasn't cranking it out. He walked in to the studio and it was time to sing his parts. And Bill sat there and pitched him line at a time, line at a time. Okay, next line, next line. And that was it. Yeah, you know, you know, even though the band kind of ended in the mid '80s, and it felt like you couldn't get any traction going, I guess back then. Which you know, you, you think of LA and the scene back then, and so many musicians being there, you think it would have been relatively easy to find the right mix of people to make it happen, but it didn't. But as years goes on, do you see this cult status that the band started building up just off of the Cannons of Destruction and you know the EP? Well, it's kind of funny. Two things: uh, we got, we talked or auditioned or however you want to call it. Jeff Scott Soto, Mark Bowles, Neil Turbin. Uh, a, a, a host and a litany of others. Um, everybody back then, I think, in a singer position was looking for money, uh, and we didn't have any. So that was part of that part of the deal. Um, what's really funny about the Cannons record is, <laughs> oh boy. Well, Deliver Us was done for eight hundred dollars in an eight eight track studio where the two bass drums and the bass guitar got melted down to one track. <laughs> the engineer was the engineer was smoking cocaine cigarettes the whole time. <laughs> Um, that was our introduction to what it smells like. like what the, I looked at Bill like, what the hell is that? Is, that, is the tape on fire? I mean, <laughs> what's the deal? You know? and, um, but obviously, that's a classic. And then when we went to do the Cannons, we knew that we were going to do this long video, that there's no way we're going to be able to record that quote live and get great tape. So we did it ahead of time, just kind of set up and played at the studio called Sutton Place. And, you know, not, not exactly Capitol Records. Let's just leave it there. And the master was out of phase. And the record itself, to me, I know people like it, and they talk about it all the time, but to me, that is kind of the red-haired bastard stepchild in my book from Warlord, just because it was such a mess. And it was just a mess, you know. Um, I thought Deliver Us was classic. Um, And the rest of them were all great and classic in their own right. But Cannons was just such a mess, and I'll never forget getting all done and then going to take it mastered. I think it was Eddie Schreier, you know, and <laughs> who's done a million records and like a big time guy. He just looked at me and goes, here, look at this. Look at these meters. And, and the, the master's out of phase. And you got to remember, this is way before the days of stick it in Pro Tool, hit a couple buttons and boom. Everything. Yeah. You know, so 
it was a little disheartening. You know, the only thing that the, the most redeeming quality about that album in my book are the pictures because my brother shot them. Uh, that's that's, that's kind of, you know, where it is to me as far as the sentiment to that record. Hell, we were just playing the same songs we always played, you know, and, you know, it wasn't like some hyper-driven studio that was fantastic and, oh, my God, Warlord in a whole new light. It was kind of a, to me, it almost qualifies as a demo. Um, but sometimes demos are great. I'm not saying that it's not great. It's just, it's not the one that resonates in my heart. It always kind of tickles the hair on the back of my neck when I hear people go, oh, man, I love that record. I just love that record. I'm like, yeah, but what about the other ones? <laughs> you know? Most people always, they always going to focus on the 80s, always going to focus on that original stuff, the first stuff that came out. That's just the way a lot of people are. But even though Warlord ended, I mean, a couple of years later, you wind up with Fate's Warning. I mean, probably a 15-year run with that band. And I can't even name the amount of bands you've been in. I mean, Dramatica and Extinction Earth, Delicacy, Dark okay. Center Light, stop, Cans, stop, so stop. many bands. Stop, stop, stop. Actually, I haven't been in more than, let me think here. There's a band, a band called Russian Roulette that I first met Bill in. That was an actual band I was in. Yeah. Warlord, my band Slavier that we did the record. Yeah. Fate's Warning, A through Z. That's, I'm thinking that's it. Everything else, you know, I'm hired to play on the, the record. I'm not in the band. Trust me, I'm not on retainer. Um, or if I am, I'm not getting the checks. Uh <laughs> But no, I, I, it's, I, I, you know, I have basically a great analog, you know, state of the art uh, drum recording room, and I've had it for years. It's just because I've been in the studio business for so long and kind of gather things. And actually, the funny story is the only reason I really got into that way back when is when there was a band called Mighty Joe Young in my studio. You ever heard of them? I heard the name, but I'm not not familiar with too much of their music. Well, they went on to be STP. Okay. Ah, okay. So, same guys, all four guys, really cool. They came up from San Diego, and they got into a pinch where they didn't have any money, and they wanted to rehearse more. So they kind of traded me out their little eight-track recorder and recording board. So that's where it all started from. But anyways, but I, then it kind of hit me. It's like, hey, Mark, if you're going to do this, you know, you really need to have the stuff. And over the years, and you know, when I wasn't married, uh, I didn't have kids. It was easy to take the money, and I bought. Anything that you'd see basically in a multi-million dollar studio, but it's all for drums, period. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's always set up. So I, I get hired a lot for other bands to do different things. You know, there's certain projects like the, you know, Spirits of Fire that I did with, you know, with Ripper and, and Chris, you know, and various things. But as far as band, band things that I'm into that I'm giving 120% and doing the thing, I don't think there's more than five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, no, I get it. When you say it that way, it makes complete sense. The other ones, like I said, it. But do you enjoy being like a journeyman, where you do go from band to band to help out, whether you contribute a song, playing on a record, maybe hitting the road for a tour, or you like having that that band feeling where there are three, four, five guys all working together to make something happen? I've always been a band guy. It just really comes down to um, kind of an economic thing. Um, and I know that's you know this will probably lose me a lot of work, but the real truth of the matter is. You know, if I had a band that was a million-selling band and we were playing big places and rocking and stuff like that, I wouldn't do it. It's the same thing when people ask me, oh, did you like writing articles for Modern Drummer? And I'm like, not really. But, you know, multiple streams of income. I've got it. But the truth be told is no matter whether, you know, I record your song or a Fate's Warning song or A through Z or this guy over here, I approach it the same way. 
you're getting the same sound, you're getting the same Mark Zonder approach to it. So I, when I go, when I sit down behind the drums, it's not like I go, oh, this is only a session gig, so they're only getting this. It's, it's just me doing what I do. I listen and I play and I work parts out, stuff like that. But no, I've always been a band guy. I always just wanted to be that band rock star guy. You know, that's, that's what I've always been into, the, the camaraderie of the band, that strength of knowing when you walk out on stage, you've got guys that are just going to, you know, knock it out of the park and it's going to be awesome and you're going to get that feedback from the audience. Uh, but no, I mean, the studio stuff is cool and, I, you know, I really enjoy my own stuff because it's so much more creative that I can be and really stretch it and do weird things that I'm sure if I did some of them on other people's recordings, they're kind of be going, uh, Mark, uh, yeah. can you fix that bill at 220? You know, that kind of thing. So, but no, I, I am I am definitely 100% a band guy. I love that whole band thing. It's a double-edged sword, you know, because then I have to deal with other guys. You know, True. And, you know, in the words of the great Philly Hart, who managed Kansas for 40-some odd years, some guys are just not manageable. <laughs> and when you're trying to get stuff done, and it's, it's ridiculous. And, and I move at a quick pace, and but we're supposed to get this done. There's a deadline. Like, why am I waiting? You know, the, <laughs> one of the funniest stories is on the last A through Z record, the, uh, we needed pictures. No, it was on the third video. And we did like 11 videos for the whole thing because I thought it was important to really keep plugging it. Like the third video, which was going to be a big video. Hey, hey, guys, just take your iPhone. I need you in your studio, drinking a cup of coffee, petting the dog, whatever. I don't care. Turn it horizontal. I need black and white footage. We're putting it together. I think Philip Bino was in like Bulgaria. Um, he got it back to me in a day and a half. The other guys who were basically sitting in basements took three and a half weeks. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you work with that? You know. Um, so the the band side, I love it, and that's what I like to do. But it's any other relationship. There's, you know. Like I always used to say, you should have to wait till you're 40 to be in a band to, to have the maturity. Because I, I remember back in the day, you know, we'd be sitting at the console and everybody's shoving all their own track. Oh, man, I got to hear the drums louder. I gotta hear the drums louder. <laughs> you know, it's like, wait a minute, you didn't hear my fill there, man. What's going on? You know, you know, but uh, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. But I, I prefer, if I had to pick one or the other, it would definitely be the band thing. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this for so long, whether it's behind the board in the studio, working that type of angle, or playing drums and being in a band. I mean, over the decades, what do you think have been the best changes that you've seen take place in the music industry as a musician? And what are some of the worst ones? Because it's a whole new environment today than it was in 1980. Let's go with the best. The best, obviously, is the computer. And... What that really enables is, you know, I'll never forget some of the first face warning records. I was literally with a phone in my hand, putting it up to the speaker for Jim to hear the parts. Yeah. You know, now you just click a couple buttons and the guy has an album quality file of what you just did. And we can talk about it and finish it up. So if the computer, if it's done right, you know, I, I use a computer to record onto, but everything I have is analog tube, you know, old school. Cause that's the drum sound that I'm going for. Okay. Uh, that's a double-edged sword because at the same time, that computer brought in, you know, ridiculous drum machines, even though there were drum machines, like programs to record drums. You've got the auto-tune situation. You've got 
the reamping, which is cool. Okay, that's more of about a that's more of a sound thing than a correcting an error thing. So I, I could go with that. But you've kind of opened it up to where I can get my dog in here and we could record a record, you know, um, in an hour. And so it, that's a double-edged sword as far as the the good and the bad. It kind of sums it up. It's like a lot of things in life, you know. Yes, there's some serious advantages to it, but there's some other things that come into play. And you hear these records, guys, playing 220 beats per minute with double kick. It's, it's a sample. It's a machine. It kind of lost that art a little bit, you know. Also, the, the worst thing I think that ever came up with, like, MP3s and earbuds. So we're going to sit here and kill ourselves and make this amazing sound, or try, and make this amazing sounding record. So you can what? Put it into an MP3 and put it on earbuds? Yeah. Um, I've always been a big Sonic guy, where that's what gets me going. I can listen to a god-awful song, um, as long as the production's good, you know? Um, I used to be a huge Madonna fan, just because of the production that, you know, Pat Leonard had going on, and just the the percussion and the groove and the this, that, and the other. I, I didn't care if it was sampled or whatever. Just the sonicness of it was great. But, yeah, that's kind of went in the toilet a little bit. And also this, the, the worst thing is, I, oh, I'll tell you what the worst thing that's happened. The label's not spending any time investing in a band. And I don't necessarily mean monetarily-wise, but it's so funny. This day and age, it's you go approach a label. They don't. I, I don't want to hear your music. Just tell me who's in the band and how many records they have sold in previous bands. That's all it seems like what's going on right now. Um, there are a few exceptions. You know, Metal Blade is an exception. Uh, but there's a lot of other places that it's not about the music. It's just strictly about the numbers game. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be a 25-year-old musician today. I mean, it's a different ballgame. At least back when I was 25 and we were doing that, there was a glimmer of hope that things might happen, you know, and that it was happening and you know, but then again, too, there was that whole thing back then. You kind of really had to play. You had to really know how to play. You really know how to put it together because there was no fixing things. You know, there was no tuning everything, auto-tuning everything, and getting away with stuff like that. So now when people present product, you can just tell it's overly, you know, manufactured. There was a classic brick wall limiting now where every mix is just bang, you know. Um so it's good and bad, but, you know, that's like anything in life. You know, there's the good and the bad. It's, the, the idea is to take advantage of the good and use it as a creative tool and, and go to town. I mean, even if you go back to the 60s and the 70s and the 80s when the record companies were king, I mean, it's true what you're saying. You know, back then they had A&R departments. They had people that went out there. It was like being on a baseball team, like being the farm team. They had people go out there and try to find these new bands that were up and coming, a sound that was getting ready to maybe take off and nurture those bands and invest the money into them to do it. And yeah, you know, they made more of the money than the bands ever did, you know, unless you really took off and exploded. But that's gone today. But you have these kids now that come around and they buy a computer program that shows them how to record, you know, guitars and drums and bass. They just go into their bedroom, they record the whole thing, they put it out there, and they think they're rock stars all of a sudden. And, you know, when you listen, you're like, I don't think these guys even know what they're doing, but that's the world we live in now. So it, it is that kind of give and take, but these young kids, they don't see that. They don't know it. They don't realize the hard work that had to be put into starting a band, you know, back in the old days. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, too, if you want to talk about sports, it kind of reminds me of the NBA. It'd be like if there's 27 different NBAs, then there would be no level of, of like quality. Back in the day, there was like a line because a label wasn't going to invest. You had to be at a certain level to play in, I don't want to say the big time, but you, to, to, to have a record. 
even if it was on a small independent label, it didn't matter. It was a record because your neighbor didn't have a record, but today your neighbor has three. So it's like you said, you know, and then the invention of the social media, which is great and cool and fine, but it's just so flooded, you know, it's just so flooded. Um, so yeah, no, there's, there's the whole thing of, uh, the quality, you know, um, I don't even know what's like, you know, obviously all the, the classic rock bands are still doing what they're doing and they draw, you know, it's funny because I was having a discussion with a friend of mine. It's like, okay, well, there's Kansas, there's foreigner sticks and they're killing it. You know, they're, they're killing it. I go, I'm not quite sure as much as I like these bands. I'm not quite sure if we're going to see a counting crows, you know, uh, yeah. what was that other band? Uh, Rob Thomas, um, I forgot his band. Anyways, we're not going to see like a Counting Crows, you know, the big resurgence of that era of those bands, like what you see. I mean, you go to see any of those bands I just mentioned, they're packed. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're packed because because it was great music, you know, during that time. You know? Yeah, well, I always say like, you know, when we're all gone and we're not going to be here forever, none of us, and, you know, when the Rolling Stones stop playing and ACDC give it up, where are the next bands coming from that are going to headline Madison Square Garden or any arena? We're not nurturing them now. We're not giving them the shot now. I mean, you know, you could create a pop artist on your computer and put some money in front of the TV, and that's who they are, and that's what it is. But where are the real rock bands coming from that are going to take over when all of us are not here and what to do it? If you're talking about rock bands, you know, that's, that's, that's a great question. Um, there are bands out there, but they're not rock bands, like you say. You know, it's, uh, you know, I took my daughter a few years ago to the Forum here in L.A. to see the, that K-pop band twice. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, is this the biggest money-making machine you've ever seen in your life? Yeah. And there was 20,000 people going nuts. And, you know, it's there's other forms of music that do really well. But when you talk about the rock bands, I don't see them. You know, I, you know, uh, you know, and the, and the sad truth of the reality is when those bands I just mentioned, Kansas, Foreigner, Sticks, and whatever, quote, put out a new record, they're competing against themselves. They're competing against the heyday when they were in the 70s because people are like well wait a minute why should i listen to that when i can listen to you know fooling yourself or renegade or whatever you know like the things that i really know and i love so it's tough all the way around it's true i mean this is supposed to be foreigners like final tour but you know they'll come back and play other shows and mick jones i just heard i think he has ms or uh something else Park- parkinson's i think it was yeah yeah yeah, so, you know, he probably won't be a part of it. Those guys will continue on, just like Leonard Skinner's doing and other bands are doing. So, I mean, that's just the way it goes. If people want the music, they're gonna, like it says, you don't like it, don't buy a ticket, don't go. You don't want to hear it, don't buy the record. That This is the world we live in now. It has to be accepted, I guess. Well, you know, if you do it well and they're not, they're not making it up as they go along, you know, they're not lying about it, here's a group of musicians, all good. And I saw that Foreigner show years ago. Uh, you know, Kelly Hansen, I think Mick Jones was back. That's when Mick Jones was there. He's not, Mick Jones isn't a deal maker. He's a songwriter, but he's not like you miss Ingve or Richie Blackmore in the band. There's plenty of guitar players that can fill in. They were good. They yeah. were really, they sounded like Foreigner. I mean, is Lou Graham one of my all-time favorites? Yes. And do I think Kelly Hansen should be sending him a check on a monthly basis? Yes. <laughs> but they were great. Kelly was great. They were great. It's not not the original lineup, but does it matter? You sit there. They're all great performers. They're giving it 110. They sound great as long as people are going to pay money for it. Hey, you know, put it this way. Until you got another band 
you know, or a band or two or three or five or seven that are going to come along that I'd rather go see instead, you know, they're still reigning champs, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and like you said, though, when it's gone, it's gone, you know? Um, so I don't know. You know, we're here, for sh- we're here for such a short amount of time. Why be miserable? <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But you know, Mark, getting back to Warlord, I mean, you know, the new record's still a month and a half away, May tenth, uh, for Free Spirit Soul. But now that you have this out there, and this is probably around the last stuff that Bill was going to be involved in musically, are you going to continue it now and try to live on to that legacy, or maybe take the band into a different direction or a different sound with the new guitar player? Yeah, I was thinking kind of like Warlord Jazz Fusion. <laughs> You know, you know, again, you're asking me questions, which I appreciate that I'm kind of thinking I'm sitting here right now going, okay, we got this record coming out, doing interviews. Okay. We're going to do videos. Okay. We have shows starting in August. You know, they're even booked, uh, you know, shows next year in America. You know, they're like, okay, we're putting things together. Uh, I got an A through Z record coming out that, you know, that I'm totally in love with that, you know, that I can't wait to get that. That's almost done. And that'll come out again on Metal Blade and, you know, hopefully go out and tour that. To be honest with you, that one sometimes, what helps in making that decision possibly? Is the label going to support it? Yeah. You know, am I going to do it by myself with Giles and the guys in the band and put it up on our website? Nope. You know, that that just doesn't make any sense. Um, What I really look forward to, and whether we're the new foreigner or not, at least you got one guy in the band still, you know. Um, just w- Warlord never oversaturated any live stuff at all. True. So you're going to get people that are my age and maybe a little younger, even a little older, that never saw the band that want to see it. And then their kids are going to want to see it. And God knows at this point in the game, it's maybe their kids' kids. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, we never exploited the live thing. And I always thought Warlord was better live than it was on a record. Um, the power, you know, you could see that in like the live in Athens and the crowd reaction, you know, it's, um, I, I don't know. I really like the live thing sitting and banging out another record. You know, so many people say, well, you know, the, the albums are dead these days. Those are the kind of things that you usually do for your own personal enjoyment. And, and you know, cause the truth be told at the end of the day, you know, what, 58 years later, you know, I play for myself. I really don't care what anybody else says. I know what I like. I know what I think sounds good. So when I'm putting something together and playing, it's for me first. So any record is for me first, even if it never comes out. It's something that I enjoy that is like my thing. So, you know, whether we do another record, I don't know. It's kind of in the air. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I am concerned on one hand what people say in the respect of I don't want to you know, there's no point in doing something if you're going to walk into a buzzsaw. But then again, is it going to be, you know, plenty of bands have done it. You know, Riot's a good example. You know, I'm a, speaking of bands with a lot of singers. Yeah, Riot <laughs> is definitely the up there. Yep. Oh, come on. You know, there's my Gus and <laughs> Gus and Red. And, I mean, Todd is an amazing vocalist. The guy is just in a whole nother world onto himself, that guy. Yep. He was actually supposed to be doing that second Spirits of Fire record. And really? He actually, yeah, he actually turned in a demo or two, and then I think his personal life, which is work, and I know he has a really heavy-duty family kind of business, I think is what I've yeah. been told. He just, he just couldn't do it. Um, but he let us, you know, he, he let everybody know. It, was, it wasn't, I mean, it was cool. It happens. 
Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, you were right, though. He sounded great. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the world when the show's coming up, I mean, is, are you looking to just kind of like hit the festival circuit and get those big shows in there? Or are you willing to go out for as long as you can if the dates are lined up and it's profitable for the band or at least break even? Yeah, break even's a good word. Um, in the hole's not one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, no, the break even thing. We're even looking for the, the no, no, we'll play anywhere kind of thing. Because I think also what's really important at this point is the band play as much as possible because the more we play, the tighter we're going to get. It's not like five guys in a room rehearsing, you know, for two years before we do a record kind of thing. It's, you know, I'm, they're all quality players and we're going to nail it to the wall and everybody's going to have it down. You know, I would almost bet the farm be besides an ending or two, you could probably, I guarantee that first rehearsal is going to be special and it'll be like, damn, everybody knew their parts. <laughs> you know, wow, that was, that was incredible. Um, except for Giles, he's always lagging behind. But uh, <laughs> no. um, oh, I gotta rest my voice tonight. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, Giles no, is not... a great—he's a great singer. He really does have a good voice. But with the upcoming shows and the tours, are you gonna look to go through the whole Warlord catalog a little bit from each era of the band, or you're gonna focus a lot on the new record because that's where he sings on? No, absolutely, we're not playing anything from the new record. Um, <laughs> I well, no, it's it's this is the first time going out, okay. Um, I'm kind of trying to hedge the bets here, and I'm going to give people what they want. You know, I, I'm going to give them exactly what I know works. You know, and how many shows have you been to, quote legacy bands, and you're there and you're, oh, that's a hit. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Oh yeah, I remember. Bass player walks to the mic. Hey, we got a new album out. Everybody's out the door. Let's 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 kill them first with the 17 that we're doing. Because we're doing 17 songs. Wow. And, and it ranges everything from, you know, Deliver Us album, you know, uh, Holy Empire, a couple songs, uh, Invaders, you know, all the classic, you know, Deliver Us, Child of the Day. You know, basically what we played when Bill was alive. It's the yeah. same basic setup. And I didn't want to start getting into the old new song thing. It's like, let's, let's, let's just do what we know is going to work. And let's just kill people for a few shows. I get that. Oh, you know, as I come from a generation where there was no internet, there were very few magazines that featured heavy metal bands. So, the first time ever hearing songs by a band was when you saw them live, in, you know, in your local club for the first time. So, to me, it was always new music because you never heard it before. You knew if they had a record on. So, I don't mind hearing music off any band's album any time that it came out because I'm from that generation. If you like the band, you're gonna like the music, no matter when it came out. Whether it was '84, '92, 2014, or 2024. But you're right. There is an that wants to hear, you know, deliver us. They want to hear certain songs and. That's just oh, yeah. the way it is. And there's also a certain thing in me, and this is my own shtick, as they say in the trades. Not that I'm unfaithful, but there's something about playing a song that Bill's not... On. I get it. Or that him and I sat in the room and smelled really bad cocaine cigarettes while we were recording <laughs> it. You know, just, there's, there's just, there's something there, you know. I, I don't know, maybe I need to go to therapy to get over it. Um, and here's the other truth to the matter those other songs have been in my head for 30 whatever years okay I played them I recorded them I hummed them whatever whatever the new album it, it's just not to me I just don't put it in the same category it's just it, I'm not sure if that makes any sense or not but the other I know ones, what you're saying they're really part of me now whether the new record becomes you know like really part of me and like in, in the same standing Time will tell, but you got to remember, man, 
cranking out Child of the Dan with Bill 30 some odd years ago, you know, and it was the feeling that that gave us the feeling that first demo that we ever did and how we sat there, you know, and more shots we did, the closer we got to the speaker because it sounded better, you know, it's just, you know, you just, you know, it's just, it's something, you know, it's like, I'm not sure if it's quite like, you know, Robert Plant doesn't want to play Stairway to Heaven or whatever the case may be, but it's just a weird one with, with, with Bill. I mean, there was such a interesting relationship uh, between Bill and I because we weren't hanging out buddies. And we politically aligned, but we are completely different people on the outlook of life spiritually and those kind of things. Never caused a problem, but we weren't like buddies, you know what I mean, in that respect. Uh, total respect for each other and all that kind of great stuff. But it's just kind of my relationship with Bill, you know. Um, <laughs> jokingly, I've told Giles, it's like, I, Giles, I'm the only one who went up Mount Sinai. You guys didn't, you know. I was there with Bill, you know what I mean? And I don't know. There's just something about it. Maybe it's my own hangups and whatever. I'm sure it's not. But, you know, Mark, I'm not going to keep you. I know you're going to be doing interviews all week long. I mean, the new record does sound great, and I know you guys are going to have a good time going out there playing behind it, and hopefully we'll get more from you and more from Warlord. And A to Z, I'm really excited that there's a new record coming out with Ray singing. It's not Fate's Warning, and it's not even close to it, but it's great seeing you two guys together again on record. Great. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to it. You have a great afternoon, my friend, and hopefully you get this band around to the New York area one day. No, absolutely. And if you need anything... Just call me or text me, whatever. And if you have a question or something, you need answered or whatever. You got it, Just buddy. Have, have a great night. Hey, I appreciate your time. Take care, Mark. Bye-bye.
All right, Lucifer's Hammer. That was a lot of talking tonight, so we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank Mark and Elena for being on tonight's show. A little change in the lineup for next week. We were supposed to have Anthony Trulio from Leisure Lord on. He called me yesterday saying that that's their last rehearsal before they go to Keep It True. And there's just no way of making it work doing the interview in the middle of rehearsal. So he's going to be on the 24th. We change it to the week after next. But we got a great show. Rob Weir from Tigers of Pantang will be calling on. They have a brand new live record coming out. And Brian Zimmerman from Atrophy. So don't forget to tune in next Sunday night. How about we wrap it up here with one final song. This is Cobra, Warriors of the Dead. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. And I will see you next Sunday night. From the grave, they came up to destroy. It never ended well to fulfill their evil ploy. And after one holy seduction, they torture it and kill. Through a drill of destruction, they came and took their fill. Warriors of the dead. Warriors of the
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.